Hello and welcome to the first episode of A Scott in Warsaw. Normally there will be more than one of us, so for today's episode I'm just going to um, talk about what's happening in Scottish politics from the point of view of uh, the upcoming referendum for Scottish independence. And I want to concentrate on a few items which are close to my heart which I believe were never answered for 2014's referendum when Alex Salmond, who was, was First Minister then, campaigned strongly for uh, independence from Westminster. Of course, the result was not what he wanted and a 55-45% no vote put uh, an end to his aspirations not only for independence, but in politics. He very quickly resigned from that position. So I just want to go over a few points and feel free to comment at the end of it. Okay, so I'm going to look at Salmon's unanswered questions. With the spectre of another independence referendum on the horizon, I thought it might be worthwhile looking at how the last one worked out. Yes, we all know who won and lost. However, like so many of these things, once the race has been run, the arguments of the loser get forgotten as they are no longer seem relevant or important. The problem is that with an overzealous first minister with a singular focus in office, the unanswered questions of 2014 are now more important than ever. Before we get into this, I want to make my position on the topic of independence clear. I thought it was a stupid idea then, and I still think it is a stupid idea. The simplest and best comparison is Brexit. Brexit will be for Britain what independence will be for Scotland, and for all the same reasons, some of which will be explained shortly. So, for now, we are clear where I stand. Having said that, I would like to be balanced as I can in what I say here today. The main reason for that is I want to change minds. Politics across the globe have become very polarised in the past few years. Many would point to Trump as a culprit, but I don't think that's entirely fair. Trump exploited an issue that already existed in American races, in America, racism. He then exploited the issue and turned 50% of the population against the other 50%. The parallel with the SMP campaign is simple. It pitched Scott against Scott. There was no room for balanced debate or economic arguments. No, it boiled down to one simple idea. If you're not voting for independence, you are not Scottish, Sassanach, or worse. So, what are the questions? Well, it has to be said, this is not an exhaustive lift list. Brexit has seen to that, but I do want to look at the most important issues from my point of view. And in no particular order, they are European Union membership, the currency, border control, and oil. On the surface, EU membership seems to be the easiest thing in the world. We have regulatory and legal harmonisation. Simple, right? Well, Brexit has certainly changed the colour of that discussion there are still a few unanswered questions. Mr. Salmon pushed the belief in 2014 that it was just a formality. 
The reality is that the issue has many threads. Acceptance into the EU has many requirements, and it is fair to say that we do fulfil some of them, but not all. One of the main achievements of the EU is a single currency. My economics lecturer at university was asked how we could judge the euro as a success. His answer was simple. But it reached parity with the dollar. It reached parity with the dollar in 2002, two years after its launch. Although a very contentious issue in Britain, we opted to exercise our veto on the subject. It may not be in other quarters. We're going to talk about currency in more details later. But for the moment, it is important to point out that nations joining the EU are obliged to adopt the currency. Now, that's a big word. However, the reality is that it is not up for negotiation. Nations joining the bloc as new members, which Scotland will be, are obliged to adopt it. Now, again, in the spirit of fairness, it is important to discuss what this obligation actually means. Poland, where I live, joined the EU in 2004 and is obliged to adopt the euro. Has it? No. There are several factors which are crucial when changing the currency of an economy. A question not for politicians, but for economists. Why has the First Minister rejected the idea of adopting the euro? Talk about currency later. Looking back with what we have lived through with the Irish question because of Brexit, less than two years seems to be a fanciful position. It has taken over four years to reach an agreement with the EU over Ireland, an agreement which was a compromise rejected by the UK government on more than one occasion and which is now causing untold misery to businesses in the north, with the threat of sectarian violence returning to Ireland. Of course, we don't have the same international constraints on the border we have with England, right? Well, at the moment, we don't. But the reality of the border question, which was fudged in 2014, has in some ways changed, but in others, is still the same. Then we had the prospect of a Scottish nation beaming with confidence at the prospect of independence separating us from the rest of the UK, a member of the EU. Mr Sam's assurance that there would be no hard border because EU membership would be a fait accompli was reliant on his 18-month window as well as other considerations. Is that still regarded as a reasonable time frame, 18 months? Given the short history of the, of the relationship that the UK and the EU shared, a time frame of four years was needed to untangle those threads. So the question is, is 18 months a reasonable time frame? Brexit has changed many of our perceptions, but there is one thing that was always true, that all member nations would have to agree to any deals. With separatist rumblings in many countries, again, is 18 months a practical deadline? 
As detailed below, border shifts are unlikely to occur. This was a time when Spain and Belgium were working through their own separatists' issues. The Geopolitical Intelligence Services detailed problems in 2018 of issues in Spain, Catalonia and the Basque regions, as well as Italy, saying the following. The question of separatism in sovereign states is, above all, the result of national and regional identities butting heads with larger, typically more globalised entities, perceived as distant, alien and oppressive. The movements are stronger when rooted in history, culture, language and popular support like Catalonia's, and weaker when manipulated folklore identity to gain more financial or political autonomy, with intention of creating a new political community. Both will represent a challenge for Europe in the coming years. Further in an article in 2016, Catherine Sepas writes, separatist concepts are not supported in the case studies discussed and the possible consequences of establishing new borders are regarded as additional legal and political hurdles that should be avoided. A strong Europe of the regions could thus help to counteract separatist tendencies. Through this strengthening of regional competence, as well as self-government structures or autonomies in the context of the European integration process, Prime Minister Cameron offered further competences to Scotland shortly before the referendum. Separatist movements may thus function as leverage to obtain more autonomy. However, border shifts are unlikely to occur. Most countries' constitutions do not allow for these processes, and the EU strongly opposes such developments as they run counter to the principle of abolishing internal borders and creating a unified Europe. This is a double-sided issue. And no, I'm not trying to be funny. On one side, we have a country whose main export partner has just filed for divorce. But due to Brexit, they are no longer constrained by EU rules and regulations. Oh, nothing to see here. On the other hand, we have a country whose first minister has said that joining the EU is a priority, and which, according to the previous first minister, was only going to take 18 months. So a hard border? This is an inevitability. If one not so simple thing happens. An independent Scotland joins the EU. Brexit in the form it is in at the moment is a disaster due to the trade restrictions that have been put in place. This involves an excessive amount of red tape for goods entering and leaving the country, or to put it another way, in and out of the EU. If Scotland joins the EU, we will be that country on the other side of the border. As has been seen in recent months, the friction that Brexit has caused, which was predicted by many, will will move several hundred miles north if Scotland were to join the EU. Now, after four years of negotiation about the Irish question, no one can realistically suggest 
we will not have a hard border or it will take 18 months to join. Money, fickle thing. You can't buy happiness and as the Beatles said, you can't buy love. But you can't do much without it. The thorny issue of currency is maybe one of the biggest stumbling blocks in the whole debate. It is literally in everyone's pocket. However, the background to this debate is a little abstract. The Act of Union allowed Scotland to keep three things, our legal system, our education system, and our currency. It may be a little known fact that uh, there was a time when there was an exchange rate between the Scottish pound and the English pound. So when Mr. Salmon talked about keeping the pound, he may have been a little disingenuous. He may have been talking about the Scottish pound. This is the solution then. We have our own currency and therefore we don't need the English one. There is one other aspect to currency we use in the British Isles. There is only one central bank and it is not in Scotland. This is important when you have to think about how a government raises money. The functions of the central bank may seem detached to the average man in the street, but they are important to the value of the money in your pocket, your savings, your mortgage, and how much it will cost to go on holiday this year or next. So, what are the options for an independent Scotland? In the spirit of neutrality, it has to be stated that an independent Scotland could adopt any currency its heart desires. As strange as it sounds, there are many past and present examples of this. The Vatican adopted the euro many years ago, for example, and both El Salvador and the British Virgin Islands used the US dollar. So, what are the options? and restrictions. Keeping it simple, we keep the pound. There are two possible ways for this to happen. A currency union or sterlingisation, a strange made up word. The first is an agreement with the Westminster government and the Bank of England for Scotland to use the pound. Within defined parameters, of course, the main issue with this option is that in 2014, all the main parties in Britain said that this would be impossible. The second is a risky proposition. The central bank acts as a lender of last resort, and that's crucial in the context of a country's financial marketplace. It, for example, would shield us against any financial shocks that came along, like the one we're living through just now, COVID or the one we lived through in 2008-2009. So, during a televised debate with Alistair Darling, a former Chancellor of the Exchequer, Mr. Salmond answered the question, saying, what's best for Scotland? Fudge. If he knew, he would have said. He didn't. So it's fair to say that this time round, we'll have the same old debate. Then we move on to the next two possibilities. We create a new currency, which would be costly, but it would give Scotland control of its monetary policy. Last one, take the euro. 
using 15 countries in the block and seen as a good bet for the financial point of view. Joining the Euro is a no-brainer from my point of view. It would leave us no worse off than any of the other options. But it would remove one barrier, joining the EU. We would be one step closer. And it would signal a commitment to join the bloc. This may be why Sturgeon will not commit. The movement all under one banner, a loose collection of fans of independence, are not unified in what the next step will be after independence. They don't all want to join the EU. And that's a problem for the SNP. So now on to the elephant in the room. Oil. Why the elephant? The most interesting thing and biggest difference between 2014 and now is the lack of talk about oil. Mr Stammen declared it to be the cash cow which would secure the future wealth of Scotland. This is the main topic, in my opinion, which shows a fudge at its worst. Mr Salmon was an oil economist in his professional life, so much like the comments about currency, he doesn't know the answer or is being misleading. This one is a black and white question, and there is no doubt about it. If the price of oil is X, then a country's quids in. If it is below that, or significantly below that, then that country is going to have issues. If we pin all our hopes on one thing, all our eggs in one basket, if you will, we could be in serious trouble. And that is what would have happened if we'd got independence in 2014. The oil price is an easy one to figure out. Do a Google search and you'll see what a disaster it would have been. So where does that leave us? When the original referendum was on the horizon, I didn't think Scotland had the finances to be independent. I don't think it will turn into North Korea, but I'm concerned about the quality of the post-independence life in Scotland. All under one banner will screen tax revenue sent to London, blah, blah, blah. But the recent COVID issue has cited some real issues in the thin margin of the Scottish government's financial resources. At a recent COVID briefing, the First Minister was pushed about how the country would raise cash after independence. I was impressed by the confidence of her assertion, but less so with the answer. My fear that my fear is that if, and it is still an if, there is a vote for independence, the SNP will then be faced with the harsh reality of negotiating a divorce settlement. Then they will face something which they have avoided for 14 years, and that is being held responsible for the problems in Scotland. So a few years after the magical and symbolic separation occurs, we are left with a government who cannot cope with the realities of governing when there is no one else to blame. So, and I'm going to go back to Brexit. We then have a government who has failed to produce the promised unicorn. Then, as I believe will happen with Brexit, another party will have to form a government stuck in a position it didn't ask for, dealing with an environment it could see 
was a disaster in the making. One other issue, and this is the last thing I will see on the matter. It struck me recently when reading the replies of after some throwaway comment in Facebook, then the opinion of many on Facebook, I was a troll, a, a traitor, an English supporter, because I didn't blindly support Scotland independence. And I didn't live there. It made me think of why I moved to Poland. I didn't move here because of a hatred of Scotland. On the contrary, I love my country. And I have written this piece because of that. I moved here because of love. I have for my now wife. We met when she studied in Scotland before Poland was a member of the EU. So I moved here for positive reasons. I didn't leave Scotland for negative ones. And I think this is a crucial point. I don't agree with any policies of the current government in Westminster. They're incompetent almost beyond measure. But I'm reminded of vitriol against Thatcher in the 80s and how, if there was any other party in power at Westminster, the referendum of 2014 would probably not have happened. Why? The SNP needed an enemy and they got it in the Tory party. We all know Brexit will be a disaster, but independence will parallel it. So let us make the decision based on a positive argument rather than a predictable Tory bashing one. Governments change, and when they change on both sides of the border, we may waken up with a hangover that no one really asked for, just like Brexit. <laughs>